Welcome to Table Radio. The following is a neighborhood table discussion with Emily, Noah, Josh, and Andy on spiritual inbreaking. Hey everybody, welcome to our neighborhood table discussion. We're going to start off by singing a song. Oceans of love could never contain all of your love forever untamed with one final breath you vanquished my death and laid to rest all my transgressions there in the tomb broken and bruised for every disease all heaven broke through i was dead in my grave but you swallowed my plague poured out your blood my resurrection let it be jesus only jesus all that i am and all that's within let it be jesus i breathe my last death is no more the trumpets will sound to carry me home what joy there will be when i see your face with shouts of You've probably noticed by now, if you've made it this far in, that we've got a big format change because there's no video associated with with this. Um, and basically, all our neighborhood tables that that meet on this Sunday, um, they they are doing Zoom meetings right now, and so they have they have points of contact. They go through the topics and that sort of thing. So we've checked in with them, and we think that this might be a better, more usable format. If you disagree feel free to email us at info at tablechurch.ca. Let us know. We'll take your feedback. But anyway, we're going to try this out and see how it goes. I'm here with Emily and Noah and Josh, you heard, playing some music and singing with us. And I'm Andy. And uh, we're going to follow up from my sermon from last time on John 14. Um, Noah has threatened not to speak. We'll see. We'll see if, uh, if we can get them to talk or not. And um, I'm going to start off, Emily and Noah and Josh, by just kind of giving a quick summary, a little bit of what I talked about last time. I know Emily's got a burning question, and we can just kind of see where the conversation goes. Uh, there's, there's so many things, so there's a lot of possibilities, but we'll see where we get to. Um, basically, last week I talked about this essential relationship that Jesus talks about, he's really preparing his disciples for his, his departure, his death, and that he's not going to be with them 
in the same way that he's been with them uh, for this for this time of ministry and walking around on the earth uh, up and down Israel and um, he's not going to be with them in the flesh anymore and so he's talking about this essential relationship that he has with the father and with the spirit and this is important for him to set up for them because he wants to communicate to them in no uncertain terms that he is not leaving them alone. He is not leaving them as orphans. And so he's trying to set them up to understand that when he is gone from them physically, that he is going to come to them and that the Spirit's role in this is essential, that the Spirit is going to unite the Father and the Son to the disciple. And that's the great promise. And I made a big deal out of how Jesus really has always had this relationship, this loving connection with the Father and the Spirit, and it's always existed. It predates creation. It predates time. That, that family and love and community is not something that God created or invented, but something that God is always been in and is now through the cross and through Jesus' resurrection, inviting us into to be with him in that way. And the last thing I'll say is that Jesus promises in some meaningful way or fashion that we're going to have a sense of this if we are entering into that love, that he will, he uses the word disclose or manifest himself to the disciple who, who roots themselves or, or uh, answers that invitation to love. Now, the caveat there might be, as we read through the Gospels, it took the disciples a while to recognize the significance of who Jesus is and people who engage with them. Um, there's sort of this learning curve, and I think that helps me anyway um, in trying to think about, well, what does this look like? Um, how do we know or how do we experience this, um, this spirit in that way? That Well, maybe it takes a little bit of cultivating and learning over time, learning to see Jesus in that way. So that's by way of summary. And I think it may be a good way to start out is just to hear what did, what did other people hear or what kind of stuck out to them from either the sermon or I know Emily rooted her, got her nose in this text for the last couple of weeks. And so she's been kind of taking her own notes as well. So what'd you guys hear or what were kind of some aha moments or some questions? Yeah, Andy, that was a, a really encouraging word to hear. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about the idea of an inner circle, and it's it's kind of, I hesitate to use that word because yeah. the idea of an inner circle holds a lot of baggage. Sure. And so there can be an element where we, we don't want to talk about having an inner circle because it, mm -hmm. it's the idea of exclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, but what I heard from from your sermon is just the idea that it's it's definitely not an exclusive club it's really welcoming everyone into this this family um that started with the the trinity the three in one um and that really welcomes everyone um in, into that family um and earlier in the chapter he jesus talks about preparing a place um and you know, there's there's nothing in that that says that there are only a few places. It really does seem like Jesus <laughs> is got, saying. <laughs> I only have so many rooms, so you want to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> no, but it does yeah. seem it's, it's that infinite hotel paradox <laughs> <Yeah>. where <laughs> you just keep adding rooms, keep adding rooms. Rooms are going fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. That's great. Yeah, I... Um, yeah, that is hard because there there does seem to be even an exclusivity built into Jesus' words here, right? Where it's like, you will see me, but the world will not see me. 
Um, and so there's something there to sort of parse out and try to understand on the one hand, but you're right. It's, I mean, the whole point after uh, of Jesus' ministry and then death and resurrection is like, okay, it's time, there is now no barriers. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, non-Jew. It's like this is wide open. And that was part of the, from a couple times from Anna's sermon, The Woman at the Well. There's this, there is this great racial divide. If there is any, if there is an outsider, insider reality in, in, um, in all of this, it would be between Jew and non-Jew. But Jesus is saying that had a shelf life and it had a specific purpose and that purpose is now over. And now the, the wall is broken down. And so Paul will talk about this a lot in the New Testament letters. There is now no barriers. So on the one, on the one hand, it is a wide open door to anyone who would come and accept this invitation. I think that the exclusive, inclusive stuff has to do with... with um, just that decision, whether, whether there is resistance, like, no, thank you, I'm not going to respond to that wide open door, that invitation, or the, the walking through that and saying, yes, I, I, will, re- I will receive this. And the, there's absolutely an acknowledgement by Jesus and his disciples that there is, you know, those who know the love of Jesus and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're talking about it, they're aware of it, and they, they want to know what, what to do next about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so interesting to me that that read or your take on on it or the message and I can see where that's coming from in the text but what I got at first glance out of this is lots of comment like lots of verses about obedience and um, like if you love me keep my commands the ones who um, keep, whoever keeps my commands are the ones who love me uh, like that kind of wording and mm-hmm. to me at first glance that seems like it's setting up barriers like mm-hmm. setting up a um, like you're not in, you're not part of the group until you've met this, like cleared this barrier. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about. Um, you almost got the opposite of, like there is no racial divide. There is no like come as like whoever it, it wants to come. Uh, I thought that was an interesting contrast. Yeah. So the the criteria isn't race or status or or any of those things. The criteria is, will you, are you going to receive this love, this all encompassing love? But there is still criteria. Yes, That's, yeah. I, I think so. Are you going to receive this love and act out of this love? I think those two, I think those two, as I understand it, are, are bound together. So I talked last time about Jesus does have quite a high standard, actually, for his kingdom. You read the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, wow. And, and how, how are we to live up to that? And I think this is, the gospel is the answer in that my love actually has the power to transform you. If you live in my love and out of my love, there's actually a transforming power to, to love also with my love. Yeah, he, he's, he wants to be the barrier of entry. So it's not even an ethic. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're very wise in, in, mm-hmm. in noticing sub, various subcultures, Christian church subcultures, where the barrier seems like there's an ethic, mm-hmm. right? To yep. get in and belong. Really, that's, that's a short circuit and some kind of a shorthand to try to figure out who is following Jesus. You can look at the behavior. Really, we'd say, how well are you following Jesus? <laughs> or how well, what does your hmm. imitation look like of Jesus? And that's a reflection of something. So it's not nothing. But the barrier of entry looks incredibly narcissistic 
from Jesus standpoint <laughs> because all throughout Gospel of John he's saying I'm the center of all these things right and he's saying I'm your way in and if you want to know the Father then look at me which unless he is the one who reflects the Father in that unique way is incredibly narcissistic and you can see why a Jew would want to stone another mm -hmm. Jew for mm -hmm. saying that for representing God that way I think that's incredibly freeing because it's now um, it's about following him and and letting Jesus be the center of time and the center of ethics of love let him, him define goodness rather than us define the pace at our, of our own growth, <laughs> right? The standard of our own goodness and some ethic. It's all outflowing from Jesus and being attached to him. So if I hmm. play that back to you a little bit, you, what you're saying, like verse 15, um, if, where verse 15 is, if you love me, keep my commands. You're saying if, if he had said, if you love God, keep God's commands, that wouldn't have been controversial or insightful. Like the important mm -hmm. bit here is, if you love me, keep my commands. Because mm -hmm. he's yes. equating, not, yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, it, and the most immediate setting there is the new commandment he literally just gave, which he just he, this is where he, he just, in the previous chapter, uh, washes the disciples' feet, which is an image of his own death. Basically, it's, it's saying, this is what my death does for you. It lets you mm -hmm. into this inner circle, and it cleans you enough um, to be in the presence of God, um, which was a great barrier, mm -hmm. right, for... for for Israel, that's where the whole sacrificial system was around, and still there was that barrier of actually being in the presence of God in the temple. And Jesus is saying that now because of what is happening, because of my death, there is now no barrier, not just between Jew and Gentile, not just between races, but between God and us, God and humanity. And so that's, that's, this is the backdrop when he says, you will keep my commandments. I'm sure he means all of them. We can think of all of them, but the most immediate one is what he just said to them. I want you to care about and love one another with this same impossible, high-standard, radical, death-defying love uh, that he is putting on display for them. It's pretty crazy. So I'd like to jump off of that yeah. with, with the question that I've been thinking about while reading this, this passage, is that... Um, thinking about this passage in a modern context, what do we do when the church kind of gets in the way of that? And so at first glance, when I read this passage, um, it, it seems to set up a kind of cyclical experience of the, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples where they've been immersed in Jesus' love, which helps them to know and understand the words of Jesus, which helps them to know the love of Jesus better. And it, it feels like it's kind of, we're kind of going around and around in circles here. And mm -hmm. so they're kind of already in this. But my question is, for those who aren't already part of this inner circle, and I'm thinking specifically of people who aren't part of the church today, I find myself having the same question that Judas asked of how does one kind of break into this circle? How does one see mm. Jesus' love? How does one see Jesus' words and kind of 
take that first step towards accepting the invitation. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm asking that specifically in a context in which the people of the world that Judas was talking about are looking at the church and in many cases not seeing that love mm -hmm. because of what us Christians in the church are doing. And they're not seeing the invitation to belong in the family. Or if they are, they're seeing it often through a filter of guilt and shame and mm. saying that you have to pass a bunch of, you do have to pass a bunch yeah. of barriers before you're going to, you know, right. have the invitation to be part of, of the family. So how are we meant to respond to that as the church today? Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really great and helpful question. And it's a bit of a, um, it's maybe one that kind of might induce some fear and trembling for us as disciples of Jesus. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so I can't control the wider church. <laughs> can't you? Can't control what the church is doing on YouTube and who I, knows where. I came to, I came here for a solution, <laughs> yeah. Andy. You underestimated I'm here the power. for you to answer <laughs> yeah. it all. But to some degree, <laughs> We can, we as a community can, we have more control over well, how do we organize ourselves mm -hmm. as a community here located in Victoria, British Columbia, as the table church, knowing that we are far from perfect. Lord have mercy. Um, it makes me think of those that passed from Paul, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That idea that um, we are called to a very high standard. We are called to a deep and radical love. And what if we could figure out how to do that more, better? Us, <laughs> here. The promise, I think, is that that will translate into um, both um, people seeing and coming. But I think the other side of it is also translates into a persecution. Like... Um, that uh, that that kind of vulnerability and love will actually be resisted by by part of the world as as same as in Jesus' day that there's a that there's a a radical call to to radical love that is ultimately rejected and even um, even has a maybe a violent reaction to it. But if we want to focus focus on the positive side of they'll know that that there's something deeper here by this kind of Jesus love if we can tap into it and share it with one another and it makes me think of all those things that Jesus promised like you're gonna be you'll be a beacon for others you'll be a, like a city that's up on a hill that that attracts others and is a space of belonging um, but all of this it really forces us to relook through this lens of of love, of foundational love, of belonging to God in this way, and rereading the gospel through it, and rereading the New Testament, and even the Old Testament through it. It's like this is who God is. It's 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 what we see and are given in Jesus, and we can't understand any other passages of Old Testament or New Testament apart from from this because Jesus as Josh said Jesus reveals the father like perfectly how about this I mean Emily there's there's two two thoughts I had the first is that 
you're talking about an inner circle of people who end up denying Jesus and leaving him mm-hmm. to die by himself. So with their advantages of three plus years following Jesus and receiving direct teaching and witnessing his magic, <laughs> his power, mm-hmm. they still departed from him in his hour of need. And that this is the people that, that God says, please forgive them, they know not what they do. That includes his disciples, and it includes the thieves on the cross, and it includes um, the soldiers that are crucifying him. And, I mean, it, everyone's on the outs in that scene as the, mm-hmm. as the story develops. Mm-hmm. And the gateway back in is through repentance, through turning around, through confession and receiving Lord. But Jesus presents himself, and they have to respond to him. So in one way, that's the burdens on God to reveal himself to a people. But surely as the story develops in the New Testament, it's the church itself, the living embodiment of renewed and transformed people that reflect the goodness and glory of Jesus to the rest of the world. That's their vocation. That's our vocation in a very specific way. And very practically, and I'd love to get your take or feedback on this, Emily. If I'm saying, how does the church, how do we, this collection of people who are gathered around Jesus, how do we love each other more? Partly, I would look at how the culture behaves and sees love and relationship and then go, well, can we, can we exist, exhibit something stronger and more compelling than the culture around us? I think we can. I think because we're centered around Jesus, it breaks some socioeconomic boundaries, some ethnic boundaries, some age boundaries, and it lets us unite around a central figure, right? And we can disagree about a whole bunch of things, but we're trying to, fumbling our way towards worship in Christ. And we're also allowing people on the fringes, which is messy, right? Because who's a Christian? (laughs) So there's a lot of 50-50s, and they're trying to figure things out. There's a lot of seekers as well. So do you close the doors off and only speak to the insiders? (sighs) Ah, there's so many stages of this. But if I'm looking around at the culture, I go, I see a culture here in Victoria, or cultures, that um, reject people who are dead weight in their life. Right? If, if, if there's some people who are toxic to me, I need to discard them. And the Christian story, that toxicity, <laughs> those toxic people get redeemed and transformed through relationships with other people who are being transformed, right? There's become a feedback loop to go, well, I'm not that great. So, for example, Andy or Vanessa might say, hey, Josh, ah, you're really not coming across very well in this way or that way. I go, really? I had no idea, right, that I was being toxic or I was being offensive in some way. But now they've told me, they spoke to me instead of just walked away and disregarded me. They've received me. And now I can be transformed in that. Right? It's threatening, but I go, no, God loves me. I'm secure. The reason they brought this up is because they also love God and they seek the best for me and they seek the best for mm-hmm. this community. It includes me, but not just about me. Thanks for that, Josh. Um, so it seems to me that our priority as people who have accepted the invitation from Jesus <coughs> should be now to 
extend that invitation to everyone, regardless of how we judge their fitness to be part of the family of God. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, I don't know whether Jesus ever says that in this passage, but I think there's something in this that's saying, now that you have this, go out and show it. Yeah, I mean, not not explicitly here, but that's part of the, that's definitely part of the story, right? He's He is going to say, now go, this is the end of Matthew, last words, now go, go out, not just, no longer just Israel, now go out into all the world, everybody gets in. And even Jesus' own ministry can't help but overspill into Gentile, ter- non-Jewish territory. And it can't help but welcome everyone who's considered even outsiders by the more religious and right, so-called righteous groups, the, the, the politically correct groups. Like, oh, you're doing it wrong, and Jesus is hanging out and eating with them at, at the expense of his own reputation. So, so yeah, does, all, that's, all that's there, for it, sure. It does seem like there needs to be a lot less of us. We need to spend more time letting the words of Jesus speak for themselves mm-hmm. and kind yeah. of remove ourselves mm-hmm. from being that barrier to people joining the family yeah. because that, that part isn't up to us whether they join and, and how the Holy Spirit changes them. It's, it's up to us to show that that invitation yeah. from Jesus exists and extend that. It's a good, it's a helpful corrective to focusing too much on what we started out with, which is, oh, it's up to me and my example to bring mm-hmm. other people in. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. To s- that, that can lead us into dangerous territory because I also have to confess that, wow, I fall woefully short of, of the kingdom by my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Even my trajectory is just like, yeah, wow. Yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Josh gets it. Um, and so to be people who tell the story well and trust the words well, even as we confess our sins every time we meet, you know, our, our, our brokenness and our failure um, to, to live up to the, the reality that, that God is calling us to in Jesus. I think there is something that repentance being the gateway in mm. because it puts us face to face with God and yeah. it makes our guilt and shame useful. I think it's, I'm just working out this idea. Hot off the presses. Hot off the presses. I, th- I see so much collateral damage from people's shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Like they feel, I feel bad or ashamed that I didn't care for so-and-so well. So that actually keeps them from caring f- for the person well in the moment and in the moments to come because they're so, so thrown off by this. If we go, I am not great, and I've got shame and guilt. Some, at least some of it is true, and I probably have some things that I don't know about. <laughs> and I just take those and bring them to Christ, who has shown himself to be merciful. That I can trust God in Christ to receive me despite my shame and actual guilt, offenses I've done, and still to receive me. I get that dealt with, and then I can go on the business of sharing myself or trying to correct for errors that I've done with a whole lot less anxiety and let it be other person focused Mm -hmm. rather than me focused because the shame and the guilt bring it right back down to me Mm -hmm. I um I thought it was so interesting what you said I think in your sermon this was uh Augustine talking about um beholding God apart from God's love is a a dangerous experience Mm -hmm. um and so I um 
I like what you were saying, Josh, about repentance, but I think that asking my, the whole kind of frame of my question is that I think a lot of people of the world see the church asking them to repent without having ever experienced the love of God. And so I think that that mm. repentance has to be in a context where yes. you've accepted that invitation. And so that's where I'm trying to kind of get with, with that, yeah. with this yeah, whole. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's actually like, it's, I think in many ways throughout history, it's been the point of engaging with God when people have had that sense of, I'm not good enough. Right, then where is goodness? Where is my source of goodness? How can I be judged? I have this sense that I'm just not meeting the right standards. We all feel, a lot of people feel that way. Right, there's also a longing for something more. Well, how is that? Well, how do I get that? Well, just, ad- just admit you're not the best. Just say, I'm, like, it basically repentance is just a fancy way of saying, I'm sorry, and Lord have mercy. He says, I will have mercy. And that bit in the Anglican liturgy yeah. is his property to always have mercy. You're like, wow, yeah. that's a pretty... Yeah, it's it's on. it's the well-known image, but the powerful image of uh, of a lot of Jesus stories. But the one of the father who still sees the son a long way off, who went and wasted his entire inheritance and pretty much, you know, st- stuck his thumb out or at, or that's hitchhiking, stuck his tongue out at his father, disrespected him, humiliated him, and while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and jumps over the porch runs for him. He's got a whole speech ready. Father, I'm sorry. He gets interrupted and he, with a hug and brings him into a party. It's like the idea of repentance as, which Josh brought up in his Ash Wednesday sermon, as something that can be joyful, something that can be, because it's a coming back to the one who is ready to receive you. That's the image, I think, that, that's the image that Jesus gives of the Father, and that's what I think we're responsible to also give of who God is like this is the one who created you who loves you and is waiting just waiting on the front porch (laughs) just looking out at the horizon to see if if you are inching your way towards him and he's going to come and run out and grab you it seems like the the natural result of beholding God in the context of his infinite love is that Mm -hmm. repentance Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, he's got to be better than me, like a lot better. But it has to be, or else why would I want to worship him? If he's just marginally better, <laughs> like that's <laughs> not really worthy of Slightly my better than Josh. Slightly better than Josh. No, he needs to be like way better so that my goodness doesn't look that good. That's the kind of God I want to worship, right? And that's the, that's the one from whom I want more transformative power so that I can be mm. better and love well. Okay, this has been really great. I'm Noah. Can you sum it up for us? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, we were talking about we talked about the whole like obedience thing. Was it not? That was my my thought. We jumped to your question, which was about the inner circle, um, and talking about uh, you know how do we how do we show up as a church so that we don't have necessarily like an inner circle that people want to join talked about how you know can't speak for all church but you can speak for us i like the point about see what is love in society um Mm -hmm. and then do better basically um or like show love in a stronger way um well i think we should end there okay hey everybody thanks for joining us uh we had a good time conversing hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time
Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors, so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.